0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Hoyland, the Land Grand Hoyland's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, is Josh Dooley. Uh, a surprising amount of Ohio State news here uh, to talk about with you this week, Josh, being at it, it, the middle of June, kind of the, the start of the dog days of summer here as we're moving on. But before we get into all that, we are going to wrap up our uh, our past drafts of the decade we had, both on offense and defense. We don't have to. <laughs> yeah, jo-
1: don't have un- to. Yeah, Josh, unfortunately
0: that. for Josh, um, this time around, I emerged victorious, so Josh won in resounding fashion on offense. I won in resounding fashion on defense. Pretty much the same split in terms of percentage of votes around, you know, 75% each way. Josh winning the offense, me winning the defense. And, you know, Josh, I think it really just came down to fan favorites. You know, it didn't matter. I think we both tried to get too too fancy with our respective losses and, and trying to build a team that actually worked when in the end, you know, when it comes down to the fan vote, they just wanted to see their favorite names and while I respect it and, you know, I liked seeing those names as well, I think, you know, actually trying to put together a team that would, would mesh well or, or is firm, like, you know, firm fundamentally I think that played against us in both of our respective losses.
1: Yeah, for sure, and I wasn't I wasn't surprised that I lost this one. I was a little surprised I got my ass kicked, but Kudos to you for picking a a great team, obviously. And to your point, I think with this defensive one, I took a calculated risk. I went with some older guys with some uh, kind of bigger stat lines. But you definitely got the stars. That's hard to argue against. You got Chase Young, Nick Bosa, great corners. Whereas I tried to attack what I thought were like areas of weakness. And I thought my linebacker core would have pulled a little bit more weight But you can't argue with the top three, four guys on your team. So not altogether shocked by the results. And that's perfect harmony, right? Each co-host wins in resounding fashion on on either side of the ball. And that's what makes us uh, a balanced team, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And I think at both of our losses, it
0: just came down to, you know, when I when I went on offense and lost, I tried to build a position that I thought was lacking in offensive line. You did the same with trying to go with linebackers and defensive tackles. And at the end of the day, it just, you know, it wasn't the more flashy positions. Like you said, when you when you went on offense and won, you got the Justin Fields, the Zeke Elliott, the Chris Olave's of the bunch. And then on defense, I got, you know, the Chase Young, the Denzel Ward, the Malik Hooker. So it just came down to, you know, getting the bigger names at the flashier positions, whether or not that, you know, took away from some of the other positions. You know, you look at offensive line and linebacker, especially at Ohio State, two positions that aren't the most you know popular, at least among the fan base, among the especially the casual fan. You know, those positions don't exactly jump off the page, so it makes a lot of sense. Not not entirely surprised, like you said, I am kind of surprised with how slanted the votes were on both sides, but nonetheless, I I thought it was a fun experiment, and you know, hopefully, we could do figure out more fun stuff to do like that in the future because I did enjoy doing that and having kind of the uh, you know the fans say in, in picking the end of the competition.
1: For sure. I enjoyed the heck out of the draft. And if anybody's got, you know, ideas that we can attack, especially during the summer when the news is a little bit slower, I thought that was a lot of fun. And no disrespect, but I think Corey Lindsley and Jonathan Hankins were our reaches, right? And that kind of set us down a bad road on either side of the ball. But no, a lot of fun. And if we can do another one down the road, I am game for that.
0: Yeah, for sure. But luckily for us this week, we do have at least you know a good amount of Ohio State topics to discuss, both on the football field, the basketball court, and, and all around the different sports worlds. There's a lot of Ohio State, at least Ohio State adjacent news to discuss this week. But we will start with everyone's favorite topic, especially over the summer, and that would be Ohio State's football recruiting. Um, not a ton going on in terms of news, but kind of just a you know a midsummer update with Ohio State having a couple, a bunch of different you know big recruiting weekends coming up in terms of official visits, both this weekend and the the following weekend. Um, so just kind of looking around looking around the the targets for Ohio State looking at their big board some of the big names we've heard in these past few weeks I'm going to start with probably the biggest name on the board which is five star wide receiver Brandon Ennis um as you all likely know by now this is the guy who, you know, he decommitted from decommitted from Oklahoma when when Lincoln, Lincoln Riley left. That was in last November. Everyone kind of assumed that he would follow Lincoln Riley to USC, but Ohio State has really made an impact in his recruitment. I think you you know, help, uh, thank Brian Hartline for that in a large way and it's it's tough to deny Ohio State's track record when it comes to these wide receivers. You just had Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave go number ten and number eleven overall in the draft, respectively. You have JSN already getting top ten projections in next week's draft. You have an offense that under Ryan Day has been incredible each and every year, especially in the passing game. And it's on a team that has national title aspirations year in and year out. So you know, surely USC is still a very big player for Brandon Innes with that relationship he built with Lincoln Riley. But, you know, it seems like right now Ohio State is the trendy pick and I would consider them the favorite uh, for him right now, especially, you know, considering he tweeted just today, today being uh, Tuesday, that, you know, kind of a you know, a little video graphic of him with, with Ohio State and then Ohio State edits and on his Ohio State visits. So, you know, if I had to pick a team right now for, for Brandon Innes, it would be Ohio State. And I think that would be another massive win on the recruiting trail for Brian Harlein.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of good momentum in Ohio State's direction, and we've talked about it before. I don't want to continue to beat the drum or beat a dead horse, but I don't think that you can undersell the recent success within Ohio State's program at wide receiver with Olave, Wilson, even going back a little bit, Terry McLaurin. Now they've got JSN on the ascent. Uh, same thing with Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, I don't want to go too far down that road, but some of his social media clips and the thing, that, the things that Ohio State are posting, um, you know, the hype train behind Marvin Harrison Jr. is going crazy right now. But did you did you think-
0: see that most recent picture they tweeted out of him?
1: Yeah, he looked like one of the Avengers. Yeah, he is.
0: He is massive.
1: Yeah, I think he's doing some great things with his body, nutrition, you name it, um, and you and I have both talked about it before. We think he's going to be a star this year, but Ennis sees all that, and he sees all of the different things on social media, the graphics that relate to Ohio State's draft success and offensive success and things like that, so it, it just a lot of feathers in the cap for these Ohio State Buckeyes, and it's still very early in the process, but... Good momentum. Ennis uh, is going to have his, official, his next official visit next week, uh, I believe, the weekend of the 24th. So all good things going on right there. And if they could lock him down, that would just be uh, obviously the number one recruit in this class so far for Ohio State. But then I think you'll see a chain reaction after that, too, if they were to go out and get a commitment from him sooner than later. But, you know, we'll see.
0: Yeah, if you're a top wide receiver in the country these days, it'd be, you'd be hard pressed to not at least take a look at Ohio State when considering your options. If you're among mm-hmm. you know one of the best guys at that position, you know not only just with the the Brian Hartline and the development and, and the draft success, but also looking at the quarterback play under Ryan Day. You know, going from a Justin Field to a CJ Stroud, and then you know next year probably even probably like a uh, either McCord or you know all the guys on the list you have you have uh, Dylan Raiola coming in in 2024 so the quarterback play doesn't look like it's going to be taking a step back anytime soon and that's certainly Comes into play when you're a wide receiver having a good quarterback. And, you know, uh, USC does have Caleb Williams, but he's more of, you know, more of a bit of a more unproven commodity than a CJ Stroud. I think, you know, CJ Stroud's kind of.
1: As a passer, definitely. Yeah.
0: And, you know, CJ Stroud's being pegged as potentially the number one overall pick in next year's draft. So, you know, I know Brandon Innes wouldn't be playing with CJ Stroud likely, but, uh, you know, in that kind of scenario, when you have quarterbacks developing at that rate, it, it makes your life that much easier as a wide receiver. But speaking of quarterbacks, um, Ohio State has potentially found, I think, its quarterback in 2023. We know that they still want to get, you know, a big name in there for that class, even though they do have Riolà in 2024. And the guy that they seem to have honed in on right now is four-star quarterback Austin Novosad. Um, he's been committed to Baylor since December, but Ohio State's really been making a push for him as of late. He's the number 13 quarterback in the class, number 255 overall. Not quite the, you know, the uh, caliber of quarterback we've seen under Ryan Day, but I think you have to kind of trust his his process here. Trust his, uh, you know his evaluation of talent at quarterback. And so maybe they see something in him that other people aren't, and they think he's better than his recruiting ranking says, but he did. He camped at Ohio state on June 1st. He just returned for an official visit on June 10th. He has an official visit with Baylor coming up this weekend, but he does expect to come to, you know, a decision in late June and early July, whether he's going to flip to Ohio state or remain committed to Baylor. So, a big name to look for here at the quarterback position in that 2023 class for Ohio state. And we should know, you know, sometime towards the end of this month or early next month, whether he's going to stick with his original commitment or come over to Columbus.
1: I think it's kind of funny when you say he camped at Ohio state, I envision like a tent on the oval for some of these guys. Right. But this is where Ohio state can pick and choose and take some swings. I think, you know, he's already verbally committed to Baylor Ohio State can just kind of throw that out the window and say, look, I I don't care where you're committed, who you pledged your allegiance to, we're the Ohio State Buckeyes, look at our room, look at the talent we've got coming in and, you know, give us a look. Just think about us a little bit. And so, yes, he's committed right now. Yes, he is not the, you know, prototypical or quote unquote, like high end recruit, but You're right, Ryan. They see something in this guy so much so that he's willing to continue to sort of, uh, you know, press on him and lean on him a little bit despite his, uh, you know, commitments elsewhere. So we'll see. It it would be a good get, and you want to continue to get at least one guy in the class. So if they can just keep this train rolling, regardless of whether or not he's, you know, the fifth ranked quarterback or the 13th or whatever. Good talent and something that Ryan Day likes when he sees his uh, watches his tape. So uh, interested to see if he'll flip. And I think there's a good possibility just based on what we've heard recently.
0: Yeah, and I don't think it's necessarily a huge need for Ohio State to land a top end quarterback in this class. You know, they do have Kyle McCord and Devin Brown both on campus if if Stroud does indeed leave after the season, which we all expect he will. Uh, They have Royola in 2024, so it's not necessarily a huge need for them to get a 2023 quarterback. But like we said, you know, Ryan Day's been really good at identifying these quarterbacks early on, especially ones that maybe aren't ranked as highly as others. You know, even looking at a guy like CJ Stroud, I don't know if he was down around the 250s at any point like uh, Novosad is, but this is a guy who wasn't. You know, one of the top quarterbacks in the class when Ohio State was first looking at him, and by the end of his, you know, recruiting, he was he was a fringe five star prospect on some guys' sites. Some some even had him ranked as a five star. Now we see what he's become in Columbus. So, you know, interesting to see how that plays out. But like I said, not not a dire need for Ohio State at that quarterback position, but surely they would like to have another guy in that room to to add some of the competition.
1: For sure. And you know, you brought up Shroud's ranking throughout the process. Ohio State has done a very good job of identifying talent. Early on, We saw it with JSN. Uh, We've talked about the Rogers brothers at wide receiver with a little bit of a lower ranking, but possibly on the ascent and on the rise with a a year of high school football to go. So you've got to have confidence in Ryan Day and anticipate that some of these guys are going to have their profile raised just by that relationship. And then it kind of picks up momentum from there. So definitely will be interesting, but I'm with you. I don't think it's a dire need because even if they strike out on this one, there's so much time to go that Ohio State can kind of see how the rest of the room shakes out and still go after another guy down the road, even if he is committed elsewhere like Nova Salt is. So a lot of options there for Ohio State at the very least.
0: Yeah, it definitely helps walking into these recruits' rooms with the with the block on your chest, knowing the kind of, especially as a quarterback or an offensive player, like we said, wide receiver, just knowing what Ohio State's done on offense under Ryan Day and with Brian Hartline. There, it's definitely an enticing offer for any um, any top end recruit on that side of the ball. But uh, on the other side of the ball, the the lone crystal ball Ohio State has gotten in, in recent in recent you know last few weeks is four star athlete Jermaine Matthews, who I don't think we've talked about at all up to this point. But there's a kid from Cincinnati; he's the number nine player in Ohio. Uh, he's an athlete, but he likely projects at a, as a corner at the next level. He was crystal ball to the to the Bearcats in May, but he just got a crystal ball to the Buckeyes last week from Steve Wiltfong, who we all know is a, you know a big name leader of recruiting over at Two Four Seven Sports. Um, if they were to land a guy like Jermaine Matthews, it would give Ohio State five of the top nine in-state players uh, in this twenty twenty three class. With you know the number seven guy, Arvell Reese being uncommitted, he's a linebacker, but he is also crystal ball to Ohio State. So you're looking at a chance there of six of the top ten, six of the top nine in-state players there. Obviously, Ohio State likes to lock down those borders, and it looks like they're you know, making a push here with Matthews, trying to steal him away from Luke Fickle down there in Cincy at the end of this.
1: Yeah, and I was not familiar with Matthews. I'll be completely uh, honest here until his name was sort of mentioned. Watch a little bit of his tape. He's another Cincinnati guy, so Ohio State continues to try and build that pipeline or keep that pipeline in through Cincinnati, Ohio, and this could be a potential steal. From UC or one of the other schools like that. So, another guy that Ohio State has ad- identified as having potential because when you look at his ranking, 25th athlete, uh, somewhere like the 350 range nationally, but you know it goes back to our last point that ident- identify these guys, these wants and these needs early. So, Matthews is one of those guys. Good size, six foot, 175, sort of a blazer. So. Um, The secondary has been hit hard um, on this recruiting trail, but you can never have too many athletes and you can never have too many DBs in the room. So this would be another good get, despite some of the other kind of bigger needs that people are talking about right now.
0: Yeah, and just rounding out some of the, the last bits bits notes here on, on Ohio State recruiting, talking about that secondary, um, Ohio State does seem to be trending with five star safety Caleb Downs, the number one safety in the country, number number eleven player overall. He has an official visit scheduled uh, in Columbus on June twenty fourth. Would be a massive get, probably likely fighting um, you know Alabama the hardest in that one. Uh, also in the secondary of the former Georgia commit Kayan and Lee uh, cornerback, still crystal ball to Ohio State Buckeyes appear to be the front runner in that recruitment as well. And just kind of bounce around a bit. Some of the other top targets here, they're still very much in on uh, linebacker Tackett Curtis and offensive lineman Olasa Lennon. Uh, those are both still very much on Ohio State's radar. You have uh, Mateo Uyangalele, the younger brother of quarterback DJ Uyangalele, at Clemson, who is just coming off an official visit with Ohio State, which by all accounts appeared to go very well. Um, they're still playing the waiting game with Carnell Tate. He says he's already made a decision he'll be choosing between Tennessee and Ohio State. So we're just kind of waiting on that uh, official announcement to be made and you know how much of the bag was thrown at him from Tennessee to try to switch that one so we'll see how that plays out but those are really some of the the big names to keep an eye on Josh did you have anyone else on your list or any of those guys that you wanted to you know expand upon further before we you know get get a get rest of our recruiting out of the way
1: a couple of guys so Troy Bowles is also visiting next week the linebacker out of Georgia his commitment kind of the news had gone quiet for a, a period of time and maybe We thought that Ohio State was out on him or his interest was waning. Um, And I still think they're going to be fighting against Georgia and Alabama and schools like that for his services. But um, he's a guy that I've wanted to bring in for a long time or that I was excited about for a long time. Really, like, rangy, athletic, three-down linebacker. So if the interest has kind of picked back up, I think that could be a huge get or a huge target. And the fact that they're getting him in next weekend – with all of these other recruits. I mean, June 24th is going to be a huge recruiting weekend for Ohio State. I wouldn't be surprised if they get a commitment, to be completely honest. Um, So that was another guy. And I wanted to talk about Carnell Tate. You mentioned the Tennessee flirtation, a relationship that's going on there. He's been pretty active on social media. Excuse me. And he had even said something like, you know, you can make it to the NFL from anywhere. It seemed like Tate was – a lock at one point or another and right now i'd say it's probably a 50 50 call what is your gut kind of telling you on carnell tate and do you think that tennessee interest is real or do you think he's trying to you know play with people's minds and keep them guessing and things like that
0: yeah, it is. It's a bit tough to get a read on him. Like you said, he is very active on social media, so he's always putting out, you know, putting out little flares here and there, trying to get people to think one way or another. But yeah, like just like you, I thought for sure he was an Ohio State lock at one point. Now I'm a little less certain. I know that Ohio State, you know, their top two wide receiver tandem would obviously be to land Innis and Tate. But you know, I, I think if they're if they're really focused on Innes and they land him, I think there's other options out there to to pair with him. Uh, you know, upper echelon receivers as well. If they miss out on a guy like Carnell Tate. Um, I don't really understand the, you know, the interest in Tennessee. I know there's, you know, extrinsic interest off the football field that maybe lead to that way, but yeah, you know, I mean, you look at Tennessee's offense. They did have Velas Jones just come out, but otherwise, like they're not exactly a, you know, high flying offense. Not exactly a wide receiver driven offense. So if, if you're a receiver of Tate's. You know, caliber, I think that, you know, Ohio State's offense would be better suited for you. But then there's also the fact that, you know, if you're in Ohio State's wide receiver room, there's a lot more competition. You might not get as much playing time right away, whereas at a place like Tennessee, you're still playing in the SEC, but you also might get some of that early playing time. So I can understand um, if he does wind up going there. You know, I don't I don't know what his you know, I can't read his mind right now. He's not being very open about which way he's leaning, but. I think as of right now, all of the, you know, most of the crystal balls are still in Ohio State's favor. Obviously, that doesn't mean much if you know, he's changed his mind and hasn't really told anybody. But you know, we're just kind of waiting right now. I think it's a, a bit of a coin flip, and I, I, you know, I'm interested to see which way he goes. But I think that you know, Ohio State either way will be fine. They'd obviously love to have him. I'd love to have him on the team. He seems like a very good player and a guy that gels with a guy like Brandon. as as they've played together on 7-7. Seven and seven. But yeah, I, I, you know, I'm kind of, it, it seems like it's kind of up in the air right now. I'm not really sure which way he's going.
1: And they've got the big-time recruit coming in at quarterback, too. I don't have the kid's name in front of me. That could be part of the interest there in Tennessee's program. And playing time, I think, is another big one that you brought up. So it would be a loss, I guess, on paper. But to bring in a guy like Tate, that would just add to the embarrassment of riches. So if they were to miss out on him, I definitely don't think it's the end of the world. I'd still like to get him in here into Columbus playing for the Scarlet and Gray, but he's the guy that we brought up to where I'm probably the least confident in guys that have crystal balls or have been talked about as Ohio State leans, you know, Mateo Ugilele. gosh, I can't say that. Um, I, I, I don't think Ohio State's a, a front runner for his services, but Big Dave, you know, his dad really liked to visit and they've, Um, talked, you know, said some really good things on social media. So that could sort of be a surprise, maybe similar to JTT, where I, I don't think it was a surprise per se, but I think he gathered steam or Ohio State gathered steam later in the process. And then they landed this real big fish. It could be the same thing with Mateo, even though he's considering some schools out West. So that was another guy I wanted to bring up, but it's June, right? You know, it's, we're looking for these clues from these recruits and there's a lot of camp going on and seemingly every camp that they go to these guys react and post something on social media talking about how much they love their visit and this that and the other so a lot of things left to be determined but I think Ohio State as a whole is just in a really good place with a lot of really high-end talents and so I'm not concerned in the least bit about their entire 2023 class moving forward.
0: Yeah, things to be things seem to be going well in Columbus as they usually do on the recruiting trail. I'm sure that they will, you know, do quite well for themselves when all is said and done. But like we both mentioned, a couple of big recruiting weekends coming up for Ohio State this month wouldn't be surprising to see a couple of commitments by the end of this month. So if any of that happens, we'll obviously be, you know, coming to you with more in depth looks at some of the guys they land, some of the guys they don't land, things of that nature. But you know, as we move on here from Ohio State recruiting into more Ohio State football news outside of the recruiting world, um, a, a former Ohio State player, current Notre Dame head coach, has. Found his way into the headlines once again, um, taking shots at Ohio State. Seems to be a favorite pastime of Marcus Freeman these days, uh, which is kind of odd because, you know, I think, Josh, in the beginning of, of this whole saga, I think Ohio State fans were more or less happy for Marcus Freeman to get that Notre Dame job. This is a guy that Ohio State fans were clamoring for when he left Cincinnati originally. They wanted him as their defensive coordinator. He wound up choosing Notre Dame, and now he's earning the head coach role there. But, you know, these days it's getting harder and harder to root for him because it seems like every couple of weeks or so he's taking a new shot at Ohio State, this time taking a shot at the school's academics. Uh, he was quoted as saying, you don't go to class at a place like that, referring to Ohio State. He said, okay, take some classes, show off for your appointments, but at Notre Dame, you're forced to go to class every day. Um, sounds a lot like, you know, what Michigan fans were saying about Ohio State when Justin Fields had that quote about going to online class and things of that of that nature. And I just don't understand, you know, the the... I guess like the infatuation with other schools talking about other schools, academics, as if every college football school isn't exactly the same. You know, Jim Harbaugh made the, took the same shot at Michigan when he was at Stanford all the way back in 2007. I mean, it's even weirder for Marcus Freeman because he's basically taking a shot at his own degree um, by saying that kind of stuff. So, Josh, what did you think of, of Marcus Freeman's comments this past week?
1: Don't love it. Don't appreciate it. Um, but more so than that, I really just don't understand where it's coming from. Um, it kind of makes me wonder if there is or was some bad blood going back to 2011, you know, Marcus Freeman spent a year in the NFL came back and was a grad assistant for Ohio state in 2010. And then he moved on in his coaching career, Kent state Purdue, yada, yada, yada. Um, And so I don't know, maybe there was a missed opportunity in his eyes for him to kind of come back and be a part of the Ohio State staff. I I don't know that. I'm just guessing at this point. But I also don't recall, you know, Ryan Day taking any shots at Notre Dame. I I don't feel like he's come out and said anything about Marcus Freeman or the fact that he's an unproven coach or that – Notre Dame hasn't been successful in a big bowl game in over a decade. I mean, he could clearly take those shots if he wanted to. But I haven't heard anything from Dave's side or his point of view. So, yeah, just sort of puzzled by the whole thing with the academics. And, you know, when he first took the job, he didn't say anything about Ohio State per se. But he he said that you come to Notre Dame to compete for national championships. You can't get that elsewhere. Not real sure what the hell he was talking about when he uh, made that statement or those statements. But, yeah, it's just sort of an odd thing. And I I don't want to lay out any guarantees or anything like that. So I don't want to talk too much about the season opener. But he's saying a lot and, and he's talking a lot. And for an unproven coach going to Ohio State, to coach your first game. Uh, Well, I guess it would be his second. He coached the bowl game. Um, But as the head coach to walk in here as, as a young guy against a very proven and successful coach in Ryan Day, I think it's just he's treading in dangerous waters. But, you know, who the hell knows if he's able to back it up and they pull off an upset, then he looks like the big winner, right? But I think that that's a lot to kind of take on. And I think it's going to put some pressure on him. I think it's going to put some pressure on his players and his own program. So we'll see, you know, we're a couple months away and I, I, I hope that Ohio state uses it as motivation. You know, these guys have heard it, you know, Ryan day has heard it. Ryan day is a guy who, coaches with a chip on his shoulder you know he talked about hanging 100 on michigan and things like that so maybe he can use this as a little bit of extra motivation not that he needs any but it definitely adds some intrigue to this season opener uh for sure
0: Yeah, that was kind of one of my big takeaways. It's that, you know, Marcus Freeman, first game of the year, coming into Ohio Stadium to play Ohio State, who themselves is, you know, nothing against Notre Dame personally, but is looking for kind of a bit of revenge after the way the last season went, looking to turn things around. You're just giving them all of this bulletin board material for really no reason, like you said. I haven't seen any, you know, whether it's Ryan Day or his players, I haven't seen anybody taking any shots at Notre Dame. I haven't seen them really talk about the Notre Dame game at all. They're still just kind of focused on, you know, building their own team and fixing the, the problems they had. Last year, just intrinsically not talking about their opponents on the year, but it is just odd. I mean, this isn't the first time. Like you said, he's made comments before. Um, you know, surely after taking the Notre Dame job, he suggested that he had made a mistake playing for Ohio State instead of Notre Dame. So he yeah, just that has was the other
1: one I wanted to bring up.
0: Yeah, he has some kind of vendetta against Ohio State. I don't really know why. Maybe it is that they just didn't you know promote him to a coach right away when he was a grad assistant there, but. Nonetheless, you know, I've seen a bunch of Ohio State's former players coming out today and, and in the last few days kind of, you know, backing Ohio State saying they, they always went to class. I know Cardale joked that, you know, the other guys were going to class when he was there because we know Cardale's famous "I uh, didn't come here to play school tweet, but... At the end of the day, you know, it's nobody's fooling anybody. These, you know, these kids are are going to these big right. football programs to play football, and they they are taking classes. They are doing the requirements to get by them. Some guys are probably very active in their education. If they, you know, if they don't think they have you know a future in the league, they're coming to get a good education at a place like Ohio State or at Notre Dame or any of the other big schools that have good academics. But at the end of the day, like if we're if we're arguing you know football program versus football program, we're bringing up academics. It seems just kind of like a a cheap shot. It seems like everybody's kind of well, doing well, the same I'll, thing. And I'll
1: take one too. Gene. I mean, a lot of these Notre Dame players need to work harder in school because fewer and fewer of them end up in the NFL. Right. So if I want to take a shot, I would point that out. He's definitely poking the bear or has poked the bear multiple times. And for reasons unknown to you and I, I think that's fair to say.
0: Yeah, I, I just think it's always like, you know, if we're talking football here, it's, it's just a weird concept to bring up. I feel like, you know, for all intents and purposes, these these college football teams are, are separate entities from the university as a whole. And, you know, while they're still taking classes, you know, the the athletics program and the, you know, the academics program of, of schools are kind of entirely separate. And I think that bringing those up in terms of any you know kind of football talk is, is silly in general, because I feel like at the end of the day, you know, all these schools are doing the exact same thing. I don't care what your, you know, maybe your academic requirements are a little higher, but I'm sure a lot of these schools are. Are bending the rules a bit to get some of these guys in here that don't meet those requirements as well. So I don't know. It's just a weird yeah, I thing. Think, I, I never like when when coaches or, or football players maybe bring up academics in, in a football debate.
1: Yeah, I think it's less and less important, and I think you see it less and less with older coaches. You know, I, I extrapolate it out, and I look at a school at a sport like basketball, right? And I, I was never a Coach K fan. I was never a Duke fan, but. That used to be something that he alluded to, that, you know, school and classes, they were more difficult at Duke because it's a small private university and this, that, and the other. And by the end of his career, all he wanted was these one-and-done guys to come in, help him win 30 games, hang a banner, things like that. So, you know, I'm not going to bash Marcus Freeman for what he's had to say. I question the motivation behind it and the intelligence of it, but... He's got to kind of make his own way and and learn as a young coach. And like I said, if he can back it up, more power to him. But that's a big ask. Yeah, I, ju- I think it's
0: it's just a uh, silly and you, know, you know nothing against Marcus Freeman personally. Like I said, a lot of Ohio State fans, I'm sure, were rooting for him and are rooting for him to succeed at his at his new job. But it does seem like an odd thing to just keep continually taking shots at the school that you are going to play as a big underdog on the road in the very first game of the season. I wouldn't recommend it. But like you said, if he could come in and pull the big upset and, and back it up, good for him, all power to him. But it just seems seems unnecessary and silly at, at this point in the year to bring up stuff like that. But kind of expanding our scope here, moving moving outward in the rest of the college football world. We did get some more college football news in terms of uh, conference realignment uh, we learned this past weekend that Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, and BYU are all going to be set to join the Big 12 in July of 2023. So at the beginning of next year, all four of those schools will be joining the Big 12. Um, each of the three AAC schools, so not including BYU, who was previously an independent, will be paying an $18 million buyout to the conference paid over 14 years. Um, and the interesting aspect here is that you know Oklahoma and Texas could still leave early. But the deadline for them to leave is 2025. So there's a chance that all of these teams are existing in the Big 12 at the same time. There's a chance it's a 14-team league, um, and I and I think that'd be really interesting because you know we've we've talked a little bit about. Oklahoma and Texas's decision to leave for the SEC—it's looking a lot worse for both of them as the years go on. As you know, Texas continues to to falter in the Big Twelve, which is already not the best conference. And we just saw you know Lincoln Riley leave Oklahoma for USC. Um, two programs, not exactly what I would consider on the upswing right now, heading into a much tougher conference. Uh, but I think it'll be interesting. You know, I think that you know teams like Cincinnati, Houston, you know these these big group of five schools deserve a chance to play with the big boys. I think they've earned that right. We saw Cincinnati this past year become the first group of five teams to make it into the college world playoff. And so I'm happy that these teams, BYU too, BYU was really good last year, last couple of years really. Um, I'm glad to see these teams kind of get a shot in the in the power five and, and get a chance to show people what they're made of and show that they're not just good because they're beating up on lesser schools, show that they're you know they're able to fight with the big guys.
1: Yeah I think this is a smart move by the Big Twelve to try and keep the conference alive, keep the uh, conference thriving, bring in a school especially like UC um and Luke Fickle and all the things that they've done recently. So a smart move by them. Uh, I'll get on my soapbox for a minute. I still hate the whole realignment thing, unless you're just going to do away with conferences, because you think Big 12, you think Texas, Oklahoma, schools like that. I mean, Houston's in the area. But I think like Southwest School, and they're picking up Cincinnati and UCF. Uh, It just doesn't make any sense to me, but I think that's a different conversation for a different day. I think that you see, as long as Luke Fickle is there, they're going to hit the ground running in this new conference. I think they're going to compete. I would go as far to say that I think Luke Fickle could have the Bearcats competing for a conference title right away if he continues to do what he has done in recent seasons, his recruiting, his development, things like that. So I think it's going to be good for him and his career as well. Who knows where that goes? Uh, You and I have talked about, An Ohio State opportunity down the road. But if he ends up in the Big 12 and that conference continues to be considered at least one of the big boys, even if they're not, you know, maybe a major contender each and every season, who knows? You know, this could be a really good thing for Luke Fickle and the longevity of his career at Cincinnati in particular if they go there and are successful. So, I, and I think this is moving the timeline up one year, if I'm not mistaken. So money talks and competition and pedigree in college football, it talks. So you know that Cincinnati and Houston, UCF, wanted to get into the Big 12 sooner than later. They were able to move that timeline up. So it will be interesting if they have the 14 teams, but we've seen other conferences with 12, 13, 14 teams already. Have to get creative with the the scheduling and things like that, but I'm looking forward to to seeing what Cincinnati can do in that conference, especially if Oklahoma and or Texas stays for at least a season or two.
0: Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. And, you know, w- whether those teams are there or not, I think you're looking at, you know, maybe a school like Baylor uh, with Dave Aranda, what he's been able to do down there. I think he's a very mm-hmm. good head coach. I think they're probably going to be, you know, maybe a front runner in, in that conference for a while, especially after Oklahoma and Texas leave. But, you know, we've seen what Luke Fickle could do in the American. I'm sure he could do just as well in the Big 12, especially now having that recruiting advantage of some of that that extra money coming in, some of that, you know, the, the prestige of playing in a Power Five conference. I think that, you know, this, this is a really good move for the Big 12 schools like Cincinnati and BYU I think that this you know if this all comes together I think that makes them probably still you know a better power five conference than the ACC uh, especially with Clemson maybe trending a bit downwards these days I mean the the big 12 with some of those bigger name teams I I think it's a much better conference than the ACC as a whole um, especially at the top so I think it's a good move for everyone involved um, yeah, I, I like you said. I, I'm interested to see what it'll look like with the 14 teams. I know that a lot of these conferences will probably be getting rid of divisions now that that's an option. I'm sure that would be the case if it's a 14 team Big 12 conference, even if it's only for a year or two. Uh, but very interesting to see it's going to be a very different uh, college football atmosphere at the start of the 2023 season. I think we're starting to see a lot of the the regionality of college football kind of come apart. Jane, I, I want to
1: ask you about that. Actually, it's kind of I kind of want to throw you a hypothetical what if preference if we continue to see this jostling and you've got a team like I don't know like say Boston College joins the Pac-12 or something crazy like that would you just like to see East versus West kind of do away with the number of conferences and divisions I know there's a lot of money involved there but that's what I'd like to see is sort of like Uh, In the NFL, I know it's not broken down geographically, but you've got AFC and NFC. Would you just rather see something like that in college football? Yeah,
0: and I I think we've briefly touched on this a bit before, kind of the idea of like a, a college football super conference. Where where some of these bigger name teams just kind of break off from the the sport as a whole, break off from the NCAA and just form their own conference. You know, you have Ohio State, Alabama, you know, USC, all the big names from all around the country kind of coming together, making like a 30 team sort of conference and just having, you know, their own college football playoff among the biggest teams. Because, you know, we've seen, you know, over the years, the gap between the the top and the bottom of college football gets larger and larger every year. There's only really probably about 10 to 12 schools that have any legitimate shot of, of making the playoff and even less that have a chance to win it. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see more and more of that, especially with like I you know, like I brought up the you know, the regionality of the sport is kind of breaking away as we see it. We see a lot of these teams moving around. You know, it used to be, you know, the Big Ten was all in the Big West, the Big 12 was all in the South, all that other stuff, the SEC all in the Southeast. And we're kind of getting away from that a bit more with, with more and more conference realignment. We already saw, you know, Maryland and, and Rutgers are very hardly in the footprint of the Big 10, but there and there. Now you have teams like BYU and Cincinnati in the Big 12. And, and the more that teams start to move around and, and break away from their region, their geographic region of their conference, I think we're getting closer and closer to that sort of happening which I don't I don't know if I particularly like. I kind of like the regionality of college football. I think it's cool and you know, I think it kind of stinks that it stinks that like the, you know, the Big 10 conference title isn't as as important as it used to be. Um and I think that that's, you know, it kind of stinks cuz you get sort of bragging rights in your own, you know, section of the country, you know, you're the kings of the Midwest when you win the Big 10 and things of that nature. So I hate to see that go away, but it does seem like we're heading more and more in that direction as the gaps between these bigger teams and the smaller teams keep getting larger and larger.
1: I think I'm with you on all fronts, really. You know, I I used to love the Big Ten competition and kind of comparing them to other conferences, and we still do. But I think the idea of a 30 or 32 team, whatever, super conference sounds great on paper. And I think it's probably the best option in a hypothetical world but I just I think there will be too much pushback from you know the 300 plus other schools and it you know they don't want to be diminished if you come up with a 30 team super conference you're going to get that team that views themselves as the 31st best team in the country and they're like hey why the hell can't we compete you know we deserve a shot so I don't know what the number is I don't know what the perfect plan is but I I do know that creating these conferences just sort of out of thin air or adding to them out of thin air, it feels odd, it feels weird, it feels, you know, it's a a total money grab, and we understand why it's happening, but, yeah, I'm with you. I like the the Big Ten rooted in the Midwest and the Pac-12 rooted in the West Coast and things like that, so it's something that I'm not particularly in favor of but it's a foregone conclusion right you're just fighting against or pushing back against the inevitability of everything so our hands are tied on that not that we're decision makers uh you know in the first place but i'd like to see some sort of change that gets it back to some sort of normalcy i guess is my point
0: yeah, and, and not to go too off on a tangent here, but I think it would be really cool to have some for. It would be probably impossible to make it work, but I think some kind of like relegation system where like, you know, if there yeah. is this, this super league where like the bottom four drop out and you get a new whoever the top four was and the rest of college football kind of comes up that next year, I think that would be a really, really cool system. I don't think that, you know, logistically that would be possible, but if something like that were to come to fruition, I think that would be really cool. Just so you kind of have teams kind of rotating in and out, you have different faces. It's not just the same, you know, 30 teams at the top of the world. Every year. So I think that would be interesting. I don't think logistically it would work out, but I, I think it'd be it'd be fun to think about. And just to kind of, you know, wrap up a bit here on, on some of the conference alignment stuff, just to, you know, replacing these schools that are leaving these other conferences in the in the American. You have a couple of conference USA schools coming over to, to fill the spots. You have Charlotte, UTSA, FAU, North Texas, Rice, and UAB all expected to join the AAC in that 2023 season once those other teams leave. And then you know, conference USA is kind of just getting picked apart. They're also losing Old Dominion, Southern Miss, and Marshall to the Sun Belt in 2022. And in their place, Liberty, New Mexico State, Sam Houston, and Jacksonville State will be joining Conference USA. So kind of a lot of moving parts here in, in more of the, the group of five schools. Not as much you know hype around them as obviously the, the Cincinnati's and the BYU's of the world. But a lot of moving parts in these next couple of seasons for college football. It's going to be a lot of different conference alignments. You're not going to be used to seeing a lot of these schools play against each other. But um, yeah, like we said, kind of the inevitability of, of shifting of these these programs, these conferences and, and the biggest schools at large are kind of dictating how everything else under them works. So I'm interested to see I'll where uh, we go. But I don't know how, uh, you know, I don't know how, how soon these these bigger changes will happen, but we're starting to see the smaller ones start to add up.
1: I wanna campaign for your relegation system. You know, we see it in uh like soccer a lot and I don't I'm not a huge soccer fan, but I I've seen the stories and the things uh, you know, on TV or online where like these lower tier teams are fighting to get into a higher division and the turnouts for their games are insane. Uh, You know, just the intensity in their matchups and and stuff, it's crazy. It's off the board. So that could be a really fun and unique touch if you've got a a lesser team fighting to get into a, a conference or a division that they probably know they're not going to win, but prestige comes along with that. More money comes along with that, uh, TV appearances, things like that. So, yeah, it'll probably never happen, but you've got my, my stamp of approval on relegation.
0: Yeah, I think all sports should have relegation. I think it would be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the logistics behind it are very, very hard. But, you know, you think of a you know a league like Major League Baseball, where you have teams like, you know, the Oakland A's and the Washington Nationals who are hardly even trying to compete. You know, the ability for those teams to get dropped down and bring up a minor league team. And I know that that's, you know, that doesn't really work because then you're having teams play against their own prospects in the minor leagues. But just, you know, the idea of having some of the teams at the bottom of your league drop out and, and give these smaller teams a chance to compete at the next level is a fun idea. You know, something like that in the NFL, maybe if they created, you know, a smaller league under it. I haven't watched any of the, you know, the USFL. I doubt it's any good and that any of those teams Nobody would has. have, I doubt any of those teams would have a, even <laughs> a small chance to compete in the NFL. So relegation would be a bit harder in the football world, at least in the professional ranks. But I do think relegation is a very fun uh, part of the, of the soccer world. And I wish that more, you know, uh, American sports had that as an option because I think it's really cool. Moving on to other American sports, shifting from the football to the basketball court. Um, we're up against the NBA draft, Josh. It is next week. It has come up on us fast. Um, so with, this is kind of our opportunity to give some of our you know, final thoughts on the NBA draft before it happens next week. We just saw uh, Malachi Branham receive a green room invite to the NBA draft. He will have a chance to hear his name called in person seems to be shooting up the draft boards very likely to be you know a, a late lottery selection um, he was one of only 16 players to be invited to the draft there's a chance that they send out four more invites which would uh, you know put EJ Liddell on the brink of maybe receiving one of those he's the number 20 prospect on ESPN's top 100 and I think that's kind of how they see it and decide who gets those draft invites so Liddell could be joining Branham at the draft but Josh this is our really our last chance before the draft happens to give our you know our opinions on what's going to happen in, in this in this year's draft with Ohio State having two players likely going Going in the first round.
1: Yeah, a lot of good momentum for both of these guys. I've looked at a lot of mock drafts. You mentioned uh, Malachi Branham being invited to the green room. Seems like he will end up somewhere in the lottery, or, you know, I think the lowest I've seen him in a mock draft is like 18th. So he's had some good individual workouts, and we're rooting for him. You know, I, I've been on a number of podcasts with you, and I've written about it. I I don't know how I feel about Branham's upside in the NBA, but I'm going to root like hell for him. I just, in my amateur kind of unqualified opinion, he seems a bit one-dimensional to me right now, and a guy who thrives in the mid-range, and you don't see that a lot in the NBA. But he's a young guy. He's got one season of college basketball under his belt, so he could really grow and develop and turn into a superstar. So I have, I have high hopes for him against sort of my own kind of thought process, but I want to see him do well. If he goes in the lottery, great. If he ends up, I don't know, going to the calves at number 14, I think that would be awesome to keep him in state and near his high school, kind of where he grew up and uh, learned the ropes and established his name and things like that. So that would be really cool. And as far as EJ Liddell goes, I've been pounding the table for him since last year. I think that he will be a guy who can go into the NBA and contribute right away. I'm not saying he's going to be a starter or he should be a starter as a rookie, but three years of production at Ohio state got better each and every season worked on his game, worked on his body, got in great shape. He's expanded his range. He's now a good shooter, great defender for his size. And, I kind of relate it to the NBA right now in the finals, which I've been watching every game. Um, EJ Liddell is not Draymond Green, first and foremost. Uh, but you look at his size and a guy who can do a lot of things, maybe EJ Liddell can learn a couple of those uh, and add things to him his game. Or Grant Williams, who plays for the Celtics, sort of a quasi-undersized power forward but gives you – Pretty good defense. He can uh, step out and hit a three. He's a role player. He comes off the bench for the Celtics. So I I see the Grant Williams role being more kind of relatable to EJ Liddell right now. But as a guy who has gotten better every year, I don't know what the ceiling is for him. I don't anticipate him being an all star, but I wouldn't count it out. And same thing goes for Branham. I think that even though. They had much different experiences in college. They are similar in the fact that they showed progress in their time at Ohio State, more so Liddell, because you've got a, a larger sample size. But these guys are still getting better. I don't think they've reached their ceiling yet, whereas you might get a guy who did spend three or four years at, at uh, in college like Liddell did, but he sort of plateaued at a certain point. Neither of these former Buckeyes – really plateaued in my opinion. So I'm going to be waiting and I'm going to be anticipating where they go. I watch the NBA draft every year. When it comes to NBA draft and NFL draft, I I watch all rounds, every pick. I'm a glutton for punishment. I just, I like those drafts. I like the process and kind of hearing about the different prospects and things like that. So I think that these guys are eventually going to do well, whether it's year one, year three, year five, whatever it is. But I think that, When you compare them to past Buckeyes, at least recent Buckeyes, I go back to like Keita Bates-Diop. I I thought he would be better in the NBA than he has been. He's been, you know, banged up time to time. He's bounced around a little bit, but I thought he would find a role. That hasn't happened, whereas Dwayne Washington, I thought he might be a G-leaguer. And he worked his way to the pros, and he did some good things for the Pacers, so... Somewhere in between is where I see both of these guys falling with maybe Branham having the higher ceiling if he can reach it.
0: Yeah, and, you know, Branham is the first one and done player for Ohio State since D'Angelo Russell, who we know went, you know, number two overall in his draft. Obviously, I don't think Branham is going to be taken that high. I don't think there's really a world where he goes top 10, but somewhere in that, you know, 11 to 16, 18 round feels about right. Um, That number 14 pick to the Cavs seems to be a very, very popular one. I'd say in probably about, you know, 75 to 80% of mock drafts, that's where they have him going. Um, Liddell's draft position varies a, a bit more, although I'm seeing a lot of that number 18 pick to Chicago. Um so potentially really interesting there. You have the former Illinois Mr. Basketball and the former Ohio Mr. Basketball both getting to play in their home states in the next at the next level, which would be really cool. Uh, you know, I've also seen a couple of uh, you know, Spurs for Liddell at twenty five. Um so somewhere in that late first round for Liddell, mid to late first round there, and then somewhere in the you know, the the late lottery for Branham, maybe mid first round. But Josh, do you think that there's a chance, you know, you brought up Kate Bates D up. Do you think there's a chance that either of these guys, uh, you know, maybe slide to the second round, maybe probably more likely Liddell than Branham? We know that, you know, I don't think that Keita Bates-Diop was as highly touted a prospect coming out of college, but he was a guy that most people did expect to go in the first round. And by the time the draft actually came around, he wound up going, you know, mid-second round to the Spurs. Do you think there's a chance that either of these guys fall out of the first round or do you think they're pretty much locks for that first round?
1: I do think there's a chance that EJ Liddell falls out of the first round because, and i'm going to open my up, myself up to some criticism nba teams and talent evaluators and general managers are stupid um, and, and what i mean by that maybe stupid's not the right word but they're sort of their field of vision is narrow i think sometimes they want to find a guy who is 18 19 20 years old in most cases And have a guy for 15 years, and they'll look at a small sample size or a small kind of period of production, and they'll convince themselves that that guy is either going to continue to develop at a rapid pace or that you know he didn't have the right coaching or the right opportunities in college, and he's going to be a superstar. But, and I'm not going to go down the list, but you look at these NBA drafts, especially in recent years, the hit rate on one and done freshmen and guys who skip college altogether, maybe go to the G league. It's not great. And so I'm a bit confused as to why these older prospects get pushed down the board like Liddell. But like I said, like every NBA team thinks that they're going to get a LeBron James or just take back the last year at Cade Cunningham who was really good as a rookie spent one year at Oklahoma State they see one and done they see the the five-star recruiting prowess or profile that these guys had and EJ Liddell was a hell of a recruit too but they just they fall in love with the idea of getting their hands on a guy so young before he's even old enough to drink and they just imagine a 15-year run with this guy but I think that's foolish for a number of reasons. I think that guys fail. You know, I I mentioned the hit rate, but then in the NBA, you've also got this freedom of movement, um, the player empowerment era. Guys can sign a contract and 15 minutes later, ask out. You don't see a lot of guys like Stephen Curry or Klay Thompson that they're playing in the finals right now that stick with a team for, 10 to 15 years it's not as prevalent as it used to be and so if you're looking for championship window I don't think a guy who played one season and put up 13 points kind of equates to that and I'm talking about Malachi Branham and just his production at Ohio State whereas you look at some guys who spent more time in school and I think the hit rate is a little bit better. The ceiling might not be as high, but you know, for whatever reason, I think of like a Fred Van Fleet or a C.J. McCollum. I just have these guards in my mind for some reason who spent three or four years in school. Damian Lillard, who went to Weber State. No one had heard of him for a while. And those guys, like the ceiling might not be as high, but the floor isn't nearly as low in my opinion. So I'm big on sample size and looking for a guy who did it for a couple of seasons maybe and kind of has rounded out his game with some you know additional room for growth and i wouldn't be the guy who drafted the the hot shot out of europe who no one has ever seen play against nba competition or the g leaguer who put up 30 points in high school but that's because he played you know on a crappy team and got to take 30 shots a game goes to the g league shoots 25 percent from three And the team's still thinking, well, hey, but you remember how awesome he was in high school. I'm just, the proof is in the pudding, and I like some of these older prospects, but that probably puts me in the minority. And that's probably a very long answer to your question, but I I feel a certain sort of way about it.
0: No, I like the answer. You're definitely, you know, you're more of a knowledgeable NBA guy than I am. I don't watch a, a ton of the NBA. I've watched a couple of these finals games that have been very entertaining, but you're definitely more, you know, in, t- in tune with the current day NBA. I do think it's a very strong uh, NBA draft class, which does play a bit, yeah. uh, you know, against EJ Liddell, but... Yeah, I, I do think that, like what you said, these guys want the, the younger players that they feel are a bit more moldable, rather than what's more. I wouldn't say a finished product, but you know, a guy who's more, you know, in tune with what he will be, what he can be, with a guy like EJ Liddell. Whereas a guy like Branham only played one year, he's still young. You know, there's a lot that could still be built upon with him. I think he's a way more in, enticing prospect. Um, then a guy like Liddell, but we've seen Liddell, you know, Liddell's a very good player. He's good at both ends of the floor. He's, he gives you good offensive numbers. He could shoot the three ball. He plays great on defense. We saw him block a ton of shots this past year. He really improved his defense from year to year. So he's, he's obviously a player that's also still improving. And I think that both of them do deserve uh first round draft, but you know, there's, there's other factors that go into it. Like you said, we've seen in both, both at the NFL and NBA level, these guys, you know, the, the, the talent evaluator sometimes overlook a guy or, or kind of get stuck in a mold of a guy that they want. And these, the, some of these upper tier players don't, get you know don't get selected because they don't fit that mold but I think a guy like EJ Liddell could have a very long and successful NBA career even if he doesn't you know isn't exactly what these guys are looking at with that that first round potential but I I wouldn't be surprised to see them both go in the first round which is what most mock drafts say so we'll definitely be looking forward to that next week Um, and you know we had a ton of other stuff here written down but we kind of went long on a lot of these other topics so I don't know if we want to Kind of go into some of the, you know, we could talk about the some of the NFL stuff just briefly with uh, with Terry Mclaurin here as we move on to you know the broader Ohio State world and sports in general. Uh, Terry McLaurin here, uh, holding out for a new contract that he he very much deserves. His rookie deal ends after this season. He's looking to be paid among the top wide receivers, which he certainly deserves. Um, He did attend workouts early in the spring, but he is uh, skipping the voluntary OTAs. Um, You know, For a guy that's probably the face of that franchise right now, far and away their best offensive player. He's had over 1,000 yards receiving in each of the last two seasons without even a real franchise QB behind him. I, I think this is a guy that deserves top wide receiver money. We're seeing some of these other guys around him even in his own division, making, you know, twenty five mil a year upwards of that as, you know, these these contracts in the NFL get bigger and bigger. Um but you know Terry McLaurin should should get paid. He's a very, very good wide receiver. He's made a huge name for himself in Washington. And you know, despite the team not being much to look at or even knowing what their own name is, I think he's done a lot for them.
1: <laughs> you got me with the name. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm glad you called an audible, even though we were kinda on basketball, just to recognize Terry McLaurin before we kind of wrap this thing up, you look at what he's done in his first couple of years uh, in Washington with poor quarterback play, thousand yard wide receiver, his catch percentage is through the roof. He's got, he's got some of the best hands in the league and he's a burner to boot. So the NFL wide receiver contracts have been all the rage this off season with Tyree kill and um, you know, Devonte Adams and guys like that. And, I don't know that I would put McLaurin in that uh, sort of club yet, but the quarterback play that he has dealt with is nowhere near that of Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, right? That those other guys had. So I think McLaurin absolutely deserves to be paid like a top 10 wide receiver. Um, even if he's not in the top 10, he's in the t- top 15 for sure, but contracts and when they're signed come into play here, and the commanders, I mean, they could use him, right? And I I think that Terry McLaurin has done all the right things as a pro. I think he is a highly respected teammate. I think he works his tail off, obviously, to go from what he was at Ohio State to what he is in the NFL. It shows his work ethic and, um, you know, his ability to learn and, and work on his game and things like that. So, I think he's going to get paid. I think that with so many wide receivers looking for big money and all the contracts right out there right now, maybe Washington is just sort of letting it play out and and seeing what the landscape looks like a couple weeks from now, a month from now, whatever it is. But he deserves the money. He is a prime example of kind of what you look for as just a, a football player and a worker. And if he were to secure the bag, it would also be another feather in the cap for Ohio state. They can point at these uh, wide receivers. Granted McLaurin and day didn't have that, that interaction or, or maybe uh, you know, a year when he was the quarterback coach, I don't recall, but another guy that you can point to from Ohio state that secured a big contract. And then you can extrapolate that out to different positions. Nick Bosa is going to be up for a big contract soon He's going to get it. Uh, And then you just see the other ones. Denzel Ward got one this offseason. So Ohio State is is putting guys in the NFL, I I don't know, at the highest rate recently. But over the past five to ten years at a rate as good or better than any other school, any other college football blue blood. And then when they get there, they're performing at a high level. And getting paid very, very well. So that's just another reason that these recruits and and all these other guys are looking at Ohio State as a, as a stepping, not just a stepping stone, but um, a means to an end. But all you know, in the meantime, they can also get the best coaching, the best development, and compete for national titles.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the recruiting aspect of it because it brings the whole brings the whole podcast full circle. You know, these like you said, these big contracts Ohio State players are signing certainly play a, a factor in, in that recruiting aspect. You look at some of the current highest paid Ohio State NFL players: uh, Joey Bosa at the top, five years, 135 million. You mentioned Ward's new deal, five years, 100 million. Lattimore, five years, 97 million. Michael Thomas, five years, 96 million. And then Zeke, six years, 90 million. All this NFL money that they're able to earn after being, you know, developed at Ohio State and, you know, put making a name for themselves on a big stage like that. It all plays into that recruiting aspect. And like you said, hopefully McLaurin gets his money that he rightfully deserves. This is a guy that, you know, wasn't the the highest touted player coming out of Ohio State, even on his own team in that NFL draft. But he has worked tremendously hard. You know, we always knew him as a special teams gunner. He was so good at that and you know he's he's parlayed that into becoming one of the better wide receivers in the NFL, the, the real face of that franchise on offense. And so hopefully he gets his deal. It looks like they're working towards that. They they recognize the the value that McLaurin brings to them and It'll be fun to see uh, you know him playing next to now uh, Curtis Samuel and Washington who they bring in and then you know once Washington probably wins two games this year they draft CJ Stroud with the first overall pick maybe, uh, it'll be ni- it'll be nice to see the Ohio State team uh, represented well on the East Coast maybe I'll be able to get out to a game when they're they're playing in Washington but nonetheless um, yeah we do hope the best for Terry McLaurin and his contract extension surely they'll get that done and he'll get paid rightfully so and that'll all tie into that you know that lovely recruiting that we started things out on so everything comes everything comes full circle everything comes back to Ohio State as it usually does on this podcast but nonetheless um i think that's i think we're good for today we had a lot that we wanted to talk about we had but we had some good uh some good conversations about realignment and the marcus freeman stuff and all the recruiting stuff that kind of filled a lot of time so i think it all went well today um josh do you have anything else you wanted to add before we get out of here
1: no you know it's it's funny gene and i talked prior to the podcast and on our list of things excuse me to talk about we had uh you know the nick saban versus jimbo fisher thing some baseball talk if we wanted to get into it the pga and liv golf tours and all of that but it, it just kind of goes to show that ohio state football and basketball it's the gift that keeps on giving even during the summer months when there's not as much going on there's still plenty of content to be talked about and things to be talked about so it's uh you know it's fun to talk about, it's fun to cover, it's fun to write about, all that good stuff. So, um, no, I, I don't have anything else, Gene. You know, and we'll probably have the same conversation next week where we're looking for a topic or two or five, and we're just gonna stumble into something. So, not too worried about that moving forward.
0: Yeah, you are correct. Ohio State football and basketball is definitely the gift that keeps on giving, content-wise, even in the off seasons for both sports. There's always a ton to talk about. Did want to give a quick shout out to uh, Kanan Smith and Jigba. Uh, Jackson Smith yep. and Jigba's brother who made his MLB debut today. He went one for one as a pinch hitter with a double. Uh, Ohio State tweeted out a picture of, of both Jackson and Kanan at the game together. So shout out to them. A, a fun little story for them. Now you'll have potentially you know, next year uh, two brothers, one playing in the MLB, one playing in the NFL. So shout out to the Smith and Jigba family. Some good genes going well, on in that indeed, uh, family.
1: Not to, not to interrupt or prolong this too much, but if uh, the Chicago Bears don't protect Justin Fields, could have another future baseball player. I don't know if you saw, he was at Wrigley Field. He hit one out, and we've talked about the Bears in the past. So a lot of these guys that uh, either go to Ohio State or are associated with Ohio State, they're they're dual threats and multi-talented. Oh, I, I, yeah,
0: I definitely saw the, the Justin Fields BP homer. So, yeah, you know, if if the Bears continue to not give him any help, I'm sure he'll get, you know, not saying he'll get much more help because the Cubs aren't very good this year. But that's a story for another day. But, yes, these these Ohio State players, quite good athletes. Uh, and apparently their families are as well. So shout-out to the Smith and Jigba family. Um, and with that, we'll, uh, we'll get out of here. So be sure to... Um, like, rate, view, subscribe, all that good stuff. Be sure to check out all of our written content over at landgrantholand.com. We'll be back at you next week with another episode of Hangout in the Holy Land. And for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross. And as always, go Bucks.